Well, this week I was contacted by a high school student online. And I've never met this person before, but they hit me up on the internet and they said, Hey, I'm trying to tell people about Jesus at my high school. But the school told me to stop telling people about Jesus. What should I do? I'm going online. I'm getting these kind of questions. I mean, how would you answer that question? I want to tell people about Jesus, but the school tells me no. What should I do? Here's here's the details. Here's specifically what this uh, high school girl wrote to me. She said, I had only tried to witness to six people with some very negative responses. That's in parentheses. When I was called into the office by the assistant principal today and told that someone had complained that I was harassing people and that I had to stop. And so I tried to explain to this young woman, well, where you're giving people like literature, sometimes people don't really like that if you just give them things to say. Or were, I mean, were you being friendly? Were you being conversational? You know, the Bible's very clear that we're supposed to lift up the name of Jesus high, but we always do it with gentleness and respect. Were you making sure that you were doing this the right way? And I wrote this big, long response about doing it the right way, and she comes back and she says, yeah, yeah, I was doing that. It's not that the school has stopped, has asked me to stop giving out tracts. They are telling me I can't talk to people to start a witnessing conversation. Are they allowed to do that? Now, what should I say to this young lady? I mean, can you imagine somebody here, maybe at Marina High School, trying to tell people about Jesus, and the school says no. How, how do you respond to something like that? What, what, do you, what, what would you tell me if, if you had a high school student, maybe, or you were interacting with a young person, and they asked you this question, or put it in the context of your work. I'm trying to tell people about Jesus at my work, and the boss told me to stop. I'm trying to tell people in my neighborhood about Jesus, and one of my neighbors said I should stop telling everybody about Jesus Christ on our street. How do we respond to something like that? Grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start working our way verse by verse through the second chapter of Thessalonians. That's the book we've been going through since we began our church now 10 weeks ago. And we are going to see the answer to that question here today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to go through the first six verses of this chapter. So please follow along with me as I read. It says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Here's the Apostle Paul talking about how he came to the Thessalonian church, a church that we've seen really responded. A lot of people got saved. In fact, the gospel when it came to these people, the story of Jesus, the good news of his death and resurrection, man, it rung out. It spread out from these people. 
And he says, when I came to you, I came to you in boldness in our God to tell you the gospel. So based on that passage right there, do we tell this young lady to, to be quiet or do we tell her to speak up in the name of Jesus Christ? What do we tell her? We tell her, keep talking. Keep talking. You know, the word boldness here is such a good word. It means to speak freely. If you want to write that down, it means to speak openly. It means there's no filter. There's no hesitation. I, I feel like I have the right to talk about this, and then I can say what I need to say in, in a friendly, uh, not rude, but very respectful way. But I'm going to say what's on my heart about Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you the truth. He says, I came to you guys. If you look back at verse 2, this is really the phrase we want to zero in on here. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now what's amazing is we're going to study the context here. In verse 2, he says we were suffering and we were shamefully treated at, at Philippi. So before we came to Thessalonica, we went to Philippi and man, we suffered. And wow, we got shamefully treated there. And then we came to you and we started telling you the gospel. And you guys know what happened at Thessalonica. Yeah, some of you got saved. But they also accused us of turning the world upside down and ran us out of town. They came after us at Thessalonica. So he says, you know, we spoke openly. We spoke freely. Even though people were literally beating us up in the town before you. And even though they chased us out of your town, we were bold because we have faith in God. And we declared to you the gospel. Now, how does that make us feel as we sit here in America, right? Who here has been beaten up for talking about Jesus Christ? Anybody gotten chased out of town for talking about Jesus Christ? No, because we have freedom of speech here in this country, or at least we're supposed to, right? At least that's what our founding fathers said. We've got this thing called the Constitution. We've got the First Amendment, the Bill of Rights. Did anybody learn about this? Anybody know about this? Well, you know what the First Amendment says? It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, on our founding documents... That has led the red, white, and blue to be the land of the free and the home of the brave that I love and I hope you love too. It says that you have the freedom to speak specifically in a religious context that you can talk about Jesus Christ openly and freely in this nation. Now let me ask you, does that describe the Christians that you know running around in America right now? Just bold for the gospel? Just no filter on those Christians. Just free to express Jesus Christ. There are people in Muslim nations that are more bold than we are here this morning. There are people who are in prison right now. People who have been beaten right now. Throughout history and on the world today. Who do not have this freedom that we have. And yet they speak more openly and freely about Jesus than we do. And some of you are thinking, well, I hear you saying we have that freedom now, but I don't know, it could get taken away. Well, maybe if it does get taken away, the Christians in this country will start to be bold like they're supposed to be. Because that's not what I'm seeing right now. 
in a nation where it says you have the freedom to speak about Jesus, I see people acting like we shouldn't really talk about Jesus with the other people because they don't seem to like that very much. Okay, When they're beating you up and they're running you out of town, here's what Paul says. My dial only goes one way. My Jesus volume, it only turns to the right, my friends. The only way that I get about Jesus is louder. That's what Paul says. You know I got beaten, I got thrown into prison, and after that I came to you. And what did I do? I started a whole heap of new trouble in Thessalonica. I went to the Jewish synagogue and told them that their beloved Messiah was a man who died on a cursed tree. That's not going to win friends and influence people, everybody. Okay? He says you got to be bold. He says when the people say no, you still Go. Let's get that down for point number one. If you're taking notes here this morning, what I want you to do is say, no still means go. Okay? When we get rejected by the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should not turn down our volume. We should not stop talking to people. Now, maybe that person has said they don't want to hear it. Well, if they've told us that, maybe we need to move on to another person. But if the world has beaten you down, if you were once this bold, zealous, I want to go on fire, tell people about Jesus kind of Christian, and now the reality that people don't really want to hear it has kept you silent, today God is telling you, let's get the boldness back. And I've gotten to see a lot of young people. They get saved they get fired up. I've known students who have preached open air in front of their school. I know people who have gone like this girl who had these six negative conversations and now the assistant principal is telling her, stop speaking. And I have seen people who were so ready to talk about Jesus get beaten down and then they stop talking. And it says, here's what boldness is. You speak freely even when you can't speak freely. That's what boldness is. There's nothing that stops you from talking about Jesus Christ. And maybe because we don't have people beating us or threatening us, because the secret police didn't follow you here and mark that you came to Marina High School for Compass Bible Church, oh, you must be one of those Christian people. Because there's no persecution like that, I'm going to suggest to you today that we've gotten soft. Anybody else want to admit that we are a soft form of Christian in America right now? Is anybody else willing to own that? No, most of you guys think we're rocking it, we're killing it here in America? Is that what you're saying? We are not bold. We are not bold for the gospel in a, in a country where, where it's on the books. we got a bill of rights to speak freely and yet we don't. Now go back to Acts 16. Let's get into this shameful treatment at Philippi. What was Paul suffering? He refers to this like, okay, I came to you and I was bold. I just told you how it was, whether you wanted to hear it or not. Well, before I came to you, though, you know what happened to me in Philippi. Well, let's just make sure we all do know what happened to Paul at Philippi. He gets the Macedonian call. If you turn to Acts 16 in your Bible, that's page 925 if you got one of our Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we always give them out. We got the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the version we're using. We think that's a good translation. And if you got one of our Bibles, it's page 925, Acts 16. You get the Macedonian call where Paul gets a word from the Holy Spirit to go across the Aegean Sea and start preaching to a new area of people in what is modern-day Greece. And the first town he comes to is Philippi. Start with me in Acts 16, verse 11. 
And it says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there we came to Philippi, which was a big deal city where people were given Roman citizenship here in the, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. I mean, this was that you're going right after the prime city here. And we remained in this city some days And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We heard there were some people gathering to pray, so we went there. And we sat down and we spoke openly, freely to the women who had come together. Now one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. This lady was a worshiper of God. And here's why we speak boldly and freely, because our boldness is in God. Here's what we think is going to happen. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I speak the gospel because I believe God can save people. And God saves this lady named Lydia. And verse 15 says, after she was baptized in her whole household, revival breaking out here in her family as well, she urged us, urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So as we were going to this place of prayer, they've preached the gospel, people have gotten saved, now they're going back for more. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. This is a demon-possessed woman. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit within this woman, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very Hour. Now, this is just very interesting to me, okay? Uh, I guess there's a bad kind of press that you don't really want when the fortune teller is telling everybody, hey, go to this church. They're really preaching Jesus. That's a little annoying, I guess, to the Apostle Paul here. And so he does something. Now, where I come from, I would see this as a good deed, maybe a random act of kindness. I don't know what you would put in the category of good deeds, but I would think exercising a demon out of a woman, I would give that two thumbs up. I would think, hey, that, you know, that was good. You know, that, that's, we should make like a, a commercial about this. This is a nice thing to do, right? Telling demons to flee in the name of Jesus, I'm all about it. Well, apparently, the people here uh, do not think the same thoughts. Verse 19, this does not go down well. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, she's lost her demonic ability to tell the future here, and the fortune telling's all over, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, make sure they don't get out. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, the dungeon of the dungeons, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, how does Phil, you want anybody want to go to Philippi on vacation? How does this sound, huh? We tell a demon to get out of a woman. Next thing you know, we're being stripped publicly, beaten with rods, 
and thrown into the place reserved for the most heinous of criminals. Our feet are in stocks. I don't know about you, but I might reconsider getting out of the exorcism business at that point. You know what I mean? I might think, oh, maybe I need to turn the volume of my Jesus music down a little bit here in Philippi. Once again, not the response that we see here. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and what were they doing? Read it out loud. Shout it with me here. Dude, this is a whole new kind of rocking out in jail right here. We have been beaten. We have been stripped. Our feet are in stocks. And we're worshiping the Lord. Oh, because we're in prison. And you know what prison has? Prisoners. And you know what those guys are thinking? Why are these guys here? Oh, let us tell you why we're here. We're here because we are all about Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing now freely and openly about Jesus after they just threw us in prison for mentioning his name. That, my friends, is boldness. I don't know many Christians today who sing at their homes, much less when they're in jail for Jesus Christ. See, the opposition did not stop the gospel going out. That was not how Paul thought. Keep, keep reading with me here. He's, they're in, he and Silas, well, we're just worshiping the Lord here in jail at midnight. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Well, what a coincidence we have here and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword because they told him, don't let him get out and he thinks they're out and he's about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and then he brought them out and said, not, how did you guys not run out of jail? No, what he said was, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke again with boldness, openly, the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. And they brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Is that not an amazing story, my friends? Who here would like to be a part of a story like that in your lifetime? Would you like to see somebody in his whole house get saved because you're singing hymns at midnight? Well, then you got to sing hymns at midnight. You got to get bold for Jesus if you're going to make a difference for Jesus here in America today. You got to start speaking more about Jesus than you are right now. The reason that we aren't experiencing persecution in America isn't because people who don't like God are nicer in America than they are in other countries. The reason we aren't experiencing persecution in America is the Christians aren't being as bold in America as they are in other countries. That's what I honestly believe. And I want you to look into your heart right now and ask yourself, do I really speak without hesitation about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do I speak freely like I have the right because he has authority over heaven and earth and he is the Lord over all things that I can speak in his name. 
what I want to do, I want to go to that girl's high school, and I want to get in an area like this during lunchtime when there's students all around saying all the things that students today talk about at high school, relationships and bad words and inappropriate innuendos. And I want to just say to her, imagine with me, if you will, every person here stopping in their tracks, dropping to their knees, and confessing with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, because that's what's going to happen to every single person here at this high school. So I don't care what your assistant principal says. I don't care what your negative commenters say. You turn up the volume on Jesus. Do it in love. Do it with respect. If they don't want to hear it, then don't keep forcing it down their throats, but never stop talking about Jesus Christ. That's what I want to say to her. I want to say, turn it up. I mean, do we believe what Ryan read earlier, that there's going to come a day when everyone is going to admit that you were right, that what you said about Jesus Christ was 100% true, and they were a fool not to believe it, and they will regret not listening to you for all of eternity. Do you believe that day is coming? Because if you do believe that day is coming, then the thing you've got to be worried about is not what are they going to think about me now, but on that day, will they have thought that I told them about Jesus Christ? See, Will I be a person that was in the right category, or because I was afraid of them in the here and now, did I not even speak to them openly about Jesus Christ? Does everybody you know know that you know Jesus Christ is Lord? That's boldness. That's openness. When did we become so afraid? This is not how Christians were ever meant to be. Go to Acts chapter 4, even further back here in the book of Acts. And if that story about uh, Philippi doesn't get you pumped, I I can't think of a better story than Acts chapter 4. Here in the early church, Peter and John, they heal a beggar and it takes off and there's a massive crowd and they're preaching the gospel. So the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they arrest these guys. Now these are the same exact religious leaders who put Jesus Christ on the cross and had him killed and now they arrest his innermost, closest disciples. Peter, who's really the spokesperson, and John. Now, think about it. You follow Jesus Christ for three years. You learn everything he's got to teach you. And then the religious leaders condemn him, execute him. Now you're standing before those same guys. The same exact men who killed Jesus. Maybe you're thinking a little bit, now's not the time to go all Jesus Christ on, right? Now we'll just take this one, take this one for the team. Live to fight another day. That's what I would probably be tempted to think, right? Can I read you their response in Acts chapter 4 to the accusations of these men? Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, in the name of Jesus, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone 
that was rejected by you, the builders, but he has become the cornerstone. In fact, let's just crank that volume all the way up to the max. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hey, not only did we do this in the name of Jesus, not only do we want you to know about it, we want everybody to know about it. In fact, you guys killed Jesus, so it's on you, but God rose him from the dead. And let's just make it clear. Jesus is the only way. The only way. Whatever you guys are doing doesn't count. You cannot put together a more bold response than that right there. And you would think, well, there it is. Off with their heads. There it is. They're hanging on crosses by the end of the day. Look at the response. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They marveled. And they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Boldness actually works. In the place that we know there's more Jesus hatred than perhaps any other place in the history of the world. These men are overwhelmed by the boldness of these disciples. Man, who's been overwhelmed by our boldness? Who's been blown away? Who realizes that you speak so freely and confidently about Jesus Christ that you must be with him? You must know him. Who thinks that about us? That's what they thought about these guys. The worst enemies of Jesus are in awe of the boldness of his followers. And then it goes on. They say, well, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. Look at verse 18. They say the answer is no. Here comes the assistant principal, and the answer is, no, we are not going to keep talking about Jesus here at this school. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop doing that. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Hey, you, you, you decide what you're going to do to us. We're not going to stop speaking freely about Jesus Christ. In fact, they leave there and they go out and have a prayer meeting. And at this prayer meeting, guess what they start praying for because they feel like they need some more of it. They feel like they don't have enough. Look at later in the chapter. Well, you can see the heading there above verse 23. The believers pray for what? What are they praying for? Boldness. And they pray this beautiful prayer and look at the end of it here. It says in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word openly, freely, with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand. See, our boldness is in you. We have confidence in you and your strength and your power. And you're going to stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are going to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I just, I picture this prayer meeting where they're sitting there pouring out their hearts to God. I mean, they're feeling it. They've been threatened. Their lives are on the line. God, help us to keep speaking freely. We feel like we want to stop. Give us that boldness and the ground starts shaking while you're praying. Would that be a cool prayer meeting to be at? The ground starts shaking. I just picture these guys looking at each other, like pulling up their robes and running out into the streets of Jerusalem. Like, yeah, let's go tell more people. Like, our prayer's been answered. Let's get out there. I mean, this is, this is stuff that we don't know about. I don't know one single person that I've ever personally met 
that's gone to prison for speaking about Jesus Christ. I've never met anyone that's been beaten for Jesus Christ. I've barely met many people that have been lost their job or, or really been inflicted in some kind of suffering way for Jesus Christ. See, I think this is like Bible time stuff. See, I think, I don't know if stuff like this really happens anymore. You've got to realize that here in America, where stuff like this isn't happening, is rare in the history of the world. It's rare on the planet right now that there would not be people going to jail for Jesus, that there would not be people being beaten for Jesus Christ. This is the exception and not the norm. And unfortunately, we have thought that the abnormality is the way that it goes here in America. And we might see differently here in the future, but that's another sermon. The point is, do we speak boldly? You know, some of the heroes, if we were to start talking about some of the greatest Christians who have ever had impact uh, for Christ in this world, we would, one of the things they would have on their resume is they went to jail. That's one of the things that great Christians go to jail for Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what happened. John the Baptist, Jesus says he's the greatest man who ever lived. Where did he end his life? In jail. Jesus Christ, we would all say, he's the one we want to follow. Where did his ministry lead him? To being arrested. The apostles were in and out of jail all of the time. Paul, in and out of jail all of the time. Let's talk about great heroes of history like Martin Luther. Anybody here a fan of Martin Luther, the great reformer, with his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, right? Some of you guys, I saw how you guys were on Facebook on October 31st. You're like, it's not Halloween, it's Reformation Day. I saw some of you guys rolling like that, right? It's the day Martin Luther de declared that great reformation against the errors of the Roman Catholic Church, and he turned us back to faith in Jesus Christ. Guess where Martin Luther ended up for that great declaration that we all love? Jail. That's where he ended up. This thing called the Diet of Worms, where they put him on trial, and they said, recant of your teachings. They said, recant of all that you have written against the church and here's Martin Luther. He's now on the spot. He's probably going to get killed is what he's thinking. And here's what Martin Luther says. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or in councils alone, said it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Slap, slap. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is either neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. These guys are going to kill you, bro. These guys are going to end you. And he says, it would not be safe for me to go with you against God. And he says this line that people debate whether he really stand, said it or not. But he says, here I stand. I can do no other. That's the definition of a Christian right there. There's no other option. No does not mean you be quiet. No means you keep going, you keep making disciples. You can't ever stop. And so what we need to be doing here is we need to be praying for boldness here at our church. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's just see an example of this prayer request. One thing we've got to do is we've got to start praying, like there in Acts chapter 4, that we will speak openly and freely the gospel. And let me just tell you this, my friends. If you leave here this morning and you pray, God, give me more boldness to speak more openly and freely, your life will get more difficult. 
okay? I am not promising that you are going to have some beautiful Christian high if you apply this message. No, I'm promising suffering and shameful mistreatment, and we might even be the group of people here if we really get a hold of this message that makes them finally change this First Amendment of the Constitution. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying things might get worse if we get more bold. And that's, that's the only way we should respond. We should be praying for boldness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. If you know where the book of Ephesians was written from, Paul, when he wrote this, was at a beachside resort writing this letter. Is that what you heard growing up, maybe, if you've learned? No, Ephesians is one of the, what kind of epistles do we call it? Does anybody know? The prison epistles, okay? So he's in jail writing a letter. Lots of great things have been written in jail for Jesus Christ. Paul here wrote the book of Ephesians in jail. Oh, I can't just go around talking to people. Guess it's time to do some writing. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, and also for me, he's asking for prayer, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak I mean, I, I can't even relate to that. The guy's in prison, and you're like, man, what, what do you need? How can I pray for you, brother, in prison? Well, pray that I'll be bold. No, I think you got the boldness down, Paul. You're in prison, right? I mean, how does Paul's life end? Do you respect the Apostle Paul? If you're a Christian here, is he an example to you? Well, his example leads you to jail. His example leads you to execution. That's the way Christians have been treated. And yet they still speak openly, and in those times they pray for more boldness. When they're doing the boldest things that we could read about, they pray for more. I don't know if you've heard about this guy named John Bunyan, but John Bunyan was a preacher in England, and he was not an official preacher of the Church of England, and so he was not allowed to preach, but yet he would preach anyways. And they had secret police in England at this time who tracked him down to going over to his friend's house, and lo and behold, what would they find him doing at his friend's house with a group of fellow believers? Ah. And so he went to jail. You know what he did in jail? He wrote the second best-selling book of all time. It's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's the greatest probably allegory that's ever been written perhaps in the English language. It's an allegory of this guy named Christian on his way to the celestial city. If you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan as a Christian person, there is great delight for you in those pages. You will see yourself in the story of this guy who goes from where he is to be with Jesus Christ. And guess where he wrote that? In jail. And they came to this preacher and they said, we want to let you out of jail. Like they're saying to you, people don't like it that you're in here. We want to let you out. It's starting to cause us trouble that you're in jail. You would think at that point he would take his Bible and his Pilgrim's Progress and go home and keep doing underground services. What he says to them is, if you release me today, I will be preaching tomorrow. That's what he says to them. And they put him back in jail. Because they can't let the criminal go when he says he's going to keep on doing the crime. And that is Christianity. If talking about Jesus makes me a criminal, then I want to be convicted. See, That's how it goes. Now, why would you have this attitude? Why would you be so bold? Glad you asked. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. After he tells us that he was bold, even though he was shamefully mistreated, even though he was run out of Thessalonica, as we've looked at before and we'll look at again in the future, um, he goes on and he gives you the reason why. 
And he says a lot of things that he's not doing. He's not trying to get money from them. He's not trying to flatter them. He's not seeking glory from them. He's not trying to please them. Because here's, let's focus on the positive thing in verse 4. Here's what he is trying to do. Here's his heart. Here's why when people say no, he still says go. And you can see it here in verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man. No, that's not what we're trying to do because we would have stopped talking a long time ago. But to please God who tests our hearts. And then we never came with words of flattery. We weren't trying to tickle people's ears. We weren't seeking glory from people. But no, we are not pleasing men. We are trying to please God who tests our hearts. See, here's what every Christian person understands. That the world can hate me now, but God is going to judge me later. And I am more afraid of what God thinks about me than I am of what people think about me now. I would rather have God say yes to me later than people say yes to me today. That's the thought that he has here. Oh yeah, I'm getting beaten up and I'm getting mistreated and nobody's liking it. I mean, a few people are getting saved, praise the Lord, but there's also a lot of opposition. And here's why. I'm not doing it for the people. I'm doing it for God. I'm not here to please men. Now, other times he says he does please men, as in he'll do anything to tell somebody the gospel, but he's not going to change the gospel. He's going to be bold about it. He's going to say exactly what God says in his word. He's going to tell it like it is. And when you tell it like it is, not everybody likes that. Some people, they do because they're from God and they get it. Other people, they reject it. He says, I'm not trying to please those people. I'm trying to please God. He's saying, I'm not afraid of man, but I fear God. And everybody here who's going to name the name of Jesus Christ, you can't please two different masters. You can't make the world love you and also do what God has commanded to you to go and make disciples of all nations. Who are you here to please? Go to Galatians chapter 1. This is a common idea that we, are, we need to be pleasing God and not man. And you can see it's said so straightforward here in Galatians chapter 1 after he says there is no other gospel. And he even says it like this. If somebody tells you a different gospel, they should be accursed. Basically, they should be damned. Like the worst thing you could ever do, he says, is change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if an angel comes to you and preaches a different gospel, even if your name is Muhammad or Joseph Smith. Is that bold enough for you guys here, here this morning, right? Even if an angel comes to you and gives you another gospel. Well, that, no, don't believe another gospel. Be committed to the true gospel. And then he rolls right from that to, here's what's going to decide if you're really going to be bold for the gospel or not. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Look what he says right here. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, verse 11, that the gospel that was preached to me by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't have the authority to change the message. I'm just the messenger. And I have decided I want to say the message that God told me to say, not the message that men want to hear in America today. I'm here to please God, not men. It's one or the other. There's a line being drawn in the sand. You cannot please God and man. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 10. Turn over there with me to Matthew chapter 10. Everybody, let's hear the beautiful sound of Bible pages turning. This this is the sound of... uh, uh, of Disciple Seminary. Disciple Seminary was like a crash course, okay? 
I mean, this is the gospel of Matthew. We're going to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew gets called in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's a tax collector. Jesus goes to him, puts his pointy finger in his chest, and says, hey, you, you follow me, Jesus says to Matthew. And he leaves his tax collecting, and he comes follow Jesus. Then in Matthew 10, Jesus names the 12 disciples, and he sends them out to go and speak on his behalf. So hold on. This guy was a tax collector, ripping people off for the Romans in chapter 9. And now in chapter 10, the first thing Jesus does is name him one of the 12 and send him out. Where's the training? Like, where's the seminary? Like, shouldn't you be a Christian for years, like learning things and getting comfortable at church before you start raising a ruckus out there in the world? First thing, day one. You want to go to seminary with Jesus Christ? Day one. You two, you're going to this city. You two, you're going to this city. Oh, and if they, they mock you, well, I'm sending you out. Let me give you guys an analogy. You're the sheep, they're the wolves. All right, guys, you ready to go? And if they, if they reject you, if, here's what I want you to do. Brush the dust off your feet, shrug it off, and go to the next city and start telling them where they might reject you again. This is, this is what it's like to sign up to follow Jesus Christ. Welcome, Matthew, to the team, right? That's how it works. There's no big long time period here. This is like you're on the team, you're sent out. To be a Christian is to go. That, that's how the Bible talks about it. And he says, look, I know it's going to be tough. I know people aren't going to like it. So let me just give you a little wisdom. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. This is a part of Jesus' evangelism boldness seminar. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. So have no fear of them, referring to men. Don't be afraid of people. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Get up on the roof and shout it. It's coming up on Christmas time. Go tell it on the mountain, my friends. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. Why do you get up on a mountain? You get up on a high place where more people can hear you. You say it in a microphone, a megaphone. You shout it loud. You turn up the volume. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Here's why, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is this, like threat motivation for evangelism right here? It's exactly what it is. Why would you be afraid of those guys? What are they going to do, beat your body up? What are they going to do, put you some, some nights in the crowbar hotel? What are they going to do to you? Put you six feet under? Here's what God's going to do to you. If you don't do what God tells you to do, He's going to judge your soul for all of eternity. Who do you want to please? What he's saying here is, hey, you're taking a test. Life is a test. Who grades your test? Who grades the life that you're living right now? These other people, myself, the other people here today, the people that live on your street that work with you, they don't grade your life. They might tell you what grade they think you're getting right now, but they don't have the authority Degrade your soul for all of eternity. See? Point number two, you've got to remember who grades your test. You've got to remember who's going to judge you at the end of this whole thing. And it's not the people who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people who reject you now when you tell them the gospel will agree with you later. They will confess that Jesus is Lord, exactly what you're trying to say. And Jesus, he puts it like this. Okay, this is how Jesus Christ worked. He liked to push it to the most controversial, like inflammatory statement that you could make. Jesus was very bold. 
This is what Jesus says a little bit later on here. Skip on down to verse 32. Look what he says. We've got to talk about this. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, if I knew nothing about the Bible, and I just read those two verses, I would think that my eternal life depends on whether I acknowledge Jesus or deny Jesus. And then at the end of my life, he's going to look at me and he's going to see, did I acknowledge him or did I deny him? Did I speak up or did I get silent? Did I keep talking or did I stop when it got tough? And he would say, based on how you did, you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Now, because I have read the rest of the Bible, I know that I'm not going to heaven based on my own good works, what I do or what I don't do. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Okay. So I know right now that's not what this is saying. It's not saying, I'm not telling anybody here, work your way into heaven by telling more people about Jesus Christ. There are churches you could go to where they will tell you that. That's not what we're saying here today. What we're saying here today is how you tell people about Jesus Christ is a test of where you are at with Jesus Christ. Because the people who really know Jesus, the people who have been with Jesus, the people who see Jesus high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory, those people cannot but speak of Jesus Christ. And they will acknowledge Jesus Christ. And when they are come to be judged, he will acknowledge them and claim them as his own. But the people who see the men, who see the way that America is going, more secular, more anti-God all of the time, and they are afraid of people, and they get quiet about Jesus, and they keep Jesus to themselves, what that means is they haven't really seen Jesus Christ, and he doesn't really know them. And on the day of judgment, he will not claim them as one of his own, but he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And here's one way you can know if you know Jesus or not. Do you speak up for Jesus when the world doesn't want you to? That's how you can know whether you're really one of his people or not. That's what he's saying here. Here's a test. Do you acknowledge me or do you deny me? That tells you where your soul is at. That's an amazing statement. He is raising our boldness for him, our speaking about him as an evidence of whether we are saved or not in our souls. This is serious. So who are you going to fear? Who are you going to try to please? You could write down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, where it says that even as a Christian, if you're a Christian here, you don't need to fear being judged to go to hell because you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And he has saved you. Praise the Lord that he has saved you. But you are still going to be held accountable for how you did spreading the word about Jesus Christ, for what disciples you made, for who you told, for that moment when you know you should have spoken up, but you didn't. He says, that's still coming. You're going to stand before the beam of seat of Christ. Therefore, make it your aim, whether you're here or whether you're with him, make it one aim to please Jesus Christ, to pass the test. If the world hates you, but you're standing up for Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Let's fast forward the tape. Let's think about what could happen. Let's say that someday they say, we can't say what we're saying here right now at this school anymore. 
So far, this school has been extremely hospitable to us here at Marina High School. They have been great hosts to us. They have welcomed us with open arms. They have never given us any impression that we are not welcome here. But let's just say, fast forward someday, it is illegal to teach kids the Bible. It is illegal because that's brainwashing children. It is illegal to, to speak about Jesus Christ as if he is the only way of salvation because that is the worst thing that anybody could be in America today, intolerant of everyone in their lifestyle. And so we start a whole new FBI, the Federal Bible Investigation, right? And now anyone caught, we go back to John Bunyan days, we go back to Martin Luther days, we go back to Bible times, we go to pick any number of countries in the world right now where if you convert to Christianity, the punishment of that is death. We go to more reality than what we're experiencing right now. Let's say that happens here in America. And on midnight, on January 1st, 2015, we are going to arrest everyone that we know continues to teach people the Bible, specifically anyone who says that Jesus is this inflammatory statement, that he's the name above all names. Specifically anybody that says there is no other name given among men under heaven by which you can be saved than Jesus Christ. Anybody who's making that claim is going to jail on midnight, January 1st, 2015. And it's you and your family, New Year's Eve whole new kind of ball is dropping and you got your family there and midnight comes and all of a sudden you realize there's a white van parked down your street and at midnight the doors open and out come these guys in jackets and it's got a little picture on their back of their jacket of an open book with a circle around it and a line through it the federal bible investigators and they're coming down your street and you're there, and your kids are huddled up next to you because they've heard about this at school. Dad, are you going to get taken to jail? Dad, are you going to get taken away? All of a sudden, they open up the back of the white van, and a couple of things come out. Shotguns come out of the back of the white van, and a dog comes out. One of these Bible-sniffing dogs that you've heard about on the news. He can sense sanctification for miles. <laughs> smells like holiness up in here, and he's on you. They start coming down to your house. Your kids are grabbing your legs. Your wife is looking you in the eyes. You can feel the sweat on the back of your neck. They start walking towards where they would turn to come up to your door. Let me ask you a question. What are you more afraid of? Them coming to your house or them not coming to your house? Because they don't even know you're a Christian. Because you never stood up for Jesus Christ. And now they're going to start persecuting Christians and they don't even think you're one of them. Hey, I like the land of the free and the home of the brave and I hope that never happens. But if I hope if it becomes illegal to be a Christian in America, your volume is just going up where it's always been. Speaking freely, speaking openly, that if anybody knows you, they know one thing about you. You believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Now listen, one of the reasons that we should be so bold about the gospel is because the gospel is a bold message. 
We are not saying that Jesus Christ is a way. We are not saying that he is a man. We are not even saying that he's the man. We're not even holding him up as a prophet. We are saying that Jesus Christ is God. That's what we are saying, okay? We are not saying that Jesus Christ didn't just come to just kind of love you or just kind of help you or just kind of meet you where you're at. We're saying that Jesus Christ put his body on a cross, that he sacrificed himself, and the reason he did that is because of you and you have sin. That's what we're saying. And we're not even saying that he just loves you and cares for you to take the punishment of your sin. We're actually suggesting to the scientific secular age that we live in, that this man, who's not a man, he's God, who died for you, he rose from the dead. That's what we're telling these people. He has power over death because he created life, because he is the living one, and he came back. And now he wants to radically change your life. He wants to make you a new creation from the inside out. Out so that if you follow Jesus, you cannot continue the way that you have been. No, he turns your com- life completely around. In fact, to follow Jesus is such a radical change. It's such a fundamental leap in your life. We call it a leap of faith because that's what it is if you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's only one way to say that message. To say that a man, Jesus, is God. To say that he died because you sinned. To say that he rose so that you could live a new life. That's the message of the gospel. And there's only one way to say it, boldly, because it's a bold message. You take the boldness out of it, you have to take the message and change it. And we're going to celebrate communion today. I want to turn you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because it says that whenever we celebrate communion, and communion is a remembrance of specifically the death of the God-man, Jesus Christ, for your sin. And we did this a few weeks ago. We want to take a lot of communion here at this church because of, here's something that it says about communion that makes it very desirable in our eyes. It says that when we do this personally, we remember Jesus' death. We remember that when we take that piece of bread that we're going to have, we're thinking of the body of Jesus on the cross. When we have that little drink that we're going to take, we're thinking about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And we take it very personally because we do believe we are a sinner. And that he paid for my sin. That that sacrifice purchased my salvation. And so we love to remember Jesus. But also, look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. Look what it says. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That when you identify with the church, that when you identify with the death of Jesus Christ through his body and his blood, one thing you are saying openly, freely, is that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And I'm going to keep on proclaiming who Jesus is until he comes and sets up his kingdom and reigns over all. So we're going to take a lot of communion because we want to keep proclaiming Jesus Christ. In fact, in fact, what we have given you here by taking communion today, if you are a Christian, and let me just say this very clearly, communion is only for those who have put their faith in the death of Jesus Christ for your sin. This is a very serious thing. It's not something we do lightly. This is only for those of us who have confessed our sins and trusted Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you are a Christian and you do decide to participate, there's no pressure here. Nobody here is going to judge you if you don't take communion. God might judge you if you take it and you know you're in sin here this morning. So I would encourage you not to take it if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody here is going to judge you. 
But if you do decide to take communion, communion, because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, when somebody asks you this week, which they will, well, what have you been up to? Well, what did you do this Sunday? What did you do this weekend? Anybody ever ask you what you do this weekend? Like, does that happen every Monday morning? I took communion. That's what I did. I celebrated the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins. And the fact that he would do that for me. And I believe he's coming back. And I believe someday you're going to see Jesus. And you're going to know that he's Lord. What if you started your Monday morning at the office like that? That's boldness. Speak openly. If this is the most exciting thing you're doing this weekend, make sure everybody that knows you knows what you do. And the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass these elements while we take some time to pray and make sure our hearts are right before the Lord. I'll come back and we'll take the bread and the cup all together if you decide to do that.